Hello, my friends, Nigel here, and welcome to Backable, the podcast where we explore the top performance habits in both business and life. Today, Tim and Alana ask the very important question, is the customer always right? What if listening to your customers is actually what's holding your business back from the next level of growth? It's a really interesting discussion about who to listen to, when to listen to them, and how to best utilize what your customers are telling you to maximize growth. Hope you enjoy. If you've been in business long enough, or you've been a consumer in any way, shape, or form, you would have heard the saying, the customer is always right, which must have been a quote that was developed by a customer because it's rubbish. (laughs) And because it's such a common saying, many business owners, when they start in business, become very quickly slaves to their customers slaves to their clients and it's just not right and so today lana nigel let's step this out a little bit let's step through why the customer is not always right and when the customer is 100 percent right and as we say the right customer is always right some sort of music in there Nigel, to make <laughs> it sound a little bit more dramatic now it's more to provoke this conversation lana which is When you're in scarcity around customers, at the very start, you start a business, you've started with zero customers because some people start businesses based on someone wanting something for them. So they already start the business with a customer. But for us that are self-funded businesses and we've grown them from zero customers and just an idea, every person that comes through our doors, metaphorically, obviously, because we're digital businesses and a whole lot of other things, you want to keep them as a customer because They are your salvation at the very start from zero, i.e. I got no food, I'm burning cash. If I don't get some customers, this thing's going to be really short. We were the same. This is something I can speak about in depth and for a very long period of time because I have made every mistake possible. Well, let's just get the highlight real, please. (laughs) Our listeners are very busy growing their companies. Uh, Yes, absolutely. When you start, you will take absolutely anything and everything. When it comes to clients and you will do above and beyond and whatever it takes to make the customer happy so that you can keep them on. Yeah. Fast forward to not even understanding your own value, but understanding the role of the business, understanding the importance of the team, understanding what happens when you say yes to the non-ideal customer and all of the absolute drama and have we triggered you? You're you really, have triggered wow, me so like, bad. <laughs> okay, just just calm down, get it out. <laughs> Let's talk it through. Talk it through, and it all ends with a discussion that me, what, 11, 12 years into doing this, had last week with an ex-client saying, "Thank you very much, but we simply cannot do it for the rates that we had done it for you previously because we know the amount of work that needs to go into this to make it work." Yeah, so that was a that's the end. A legacy, <laughs> a legacy client that had come back after a few years and the business that you are running a few years ago is not the business you're running today. And that's the bit we need to explore a bit because let's talk about the process because I feel like Lana will probably take the reins on this one and I'll just sit back and, and let I'm her. And I'm just going to do a monologue like TED talk. We're, yeah, we're on, a, we're on a confessional or something <laughs> like that. But here's how it works. You start a business and you don't really care. You want to get some revenue through the door. You want to prove that what you're trying to do works and you're saying yes, you're being accommodating and you're doing all those things just to start to get some volume. 
which going. you should do and which you have to do. A hundred percent you should. Yes. You should be doing that. Anyone here who's self-funded, which is probably all of you, you have to do whatever it takes to just get going because businesses eat money, you got no money, they starve to death and it's over. Really simple. And you also get to hone your craft. Two-way street. Absolutely, because all of us that have been in this long enough realise that our initial idea is just the reason that gives us confidence to start the business. Once we start immersing ourselves in the networks that we're serving, the customers we're serving, we start to innovate, adapt, find a place for our business and then go, ah, that's, that's where the opportunity is. And then we double down and go harder down that path unless we find something a little bit better and then it evolves. And I suppose that's the journey of business. Maybe that's the end of the podcast. There we go. <laughs> that's how you do business good. <laughs> but that's the point, right? So at the start, that's what you're trying to do. You bring everyone in. You're being overly accommodating. You'll do whatever it takes. The danger in this period is many SMEs never break that habit. They're always, even after years, still doing the same thing because it's the only way they know to get customers, which is basically become slaves. And it's wrong because you have to understand that as your business evolves, you're actually either going to grow with your customers, your current customers, or you're going to outgrow them. And it's not a bad thing because you got those customers at the start because they needed a type of service. But the customer you want to serve might go from needing 24-7 attention and SMSs at the middle of the night to they're just paying you for the results and it's a completely different type of customer, whatever that is. And if you're in a product-based business, it might be the requirements of that customer now. It might be moving into a wholesale customer instead of an individual customer. There's a whole lot of different things. But you have to work out at any stage, line, and this is what we've had to do in every one of our businesses, obviously, is when do we have to evolve our customer base? Or how do we know we're serving the wrong customer? Because where businesses get into a lot of trouble is they take their wrong customers or their non-ideal customers and build their whole organization around servicing someone you don't even want to work with. Can we just put trigger warnings all through this for any SME owner? (laughs) Well, wait a minute. Before you get triggered, I want to pull you up on this. I couldn't be more thankful for all the wrong customers we've ever had because they're the only reason we built the business we've got because I'm not going to say they were our training wheels, but they allowed us to evolve. So as much as we talk about it as, hey, they're the wrong customer. Did I say I didn't enjoy it? Did I say it didn't make me better? I just just feel you're getting really worked (laughs) up. You're shifting in your seat. You're just, 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 you know, not only we're most thankful for the ones that we've outgrown because they've taught us what we Don't take that tone with me. I'll take whatever. I'm not one of. (laughs) No, this one may never get to air. This could end up in some sort of (laughs) domestic. uh, Yeah, and this is the thing. I never said that this was bad. It's what you learn off. But again, the skill set and the really important part of this is when you outgrow a client or when they outgrow you, again, personal opinion is you have to be strong enough to let go. If you keep holding on to the non-ideal client, your fault, their fault, it doesn't matter you're only going to have negative ramifications. And a really easy example is if anyone is in a service-based business and you might have one annoying client on your book, and I use the word annoying in talking marks, they take all your time, they're never happy, no matter what you offer them, they want more. Figure out why they're not the perfect client. Figure out what it is about your service for them. Are you too big for them? Are they too big for you? That's almost a really simple place to start. It might not even be size though, isn't it? Sometimes it's just disproportionate 
effort required to keep them happy. And they might not have the budget to keep up with the effort that yeah, you are re- yeah. required to put in there. But it's having, I don't even think it's ego, but it's having the opinion and having the value of your business and of, of your team. And that's how I actually got over this hump was watching my team and what the team had to go through with a client having that there to say, this is not worth it. And I will find another client who will replace them and it will be a better fit. If you're back in the early days of mindset, which is I need to hold on to everything, this is often where this comes from. I totally agree with you. And, you know, we're being a little bit tongue in cheek because we understand the process that all businesses need to go through. So you have to go and work with a whole variety of clients. That's part of the innovation process. Where a lot of businesses have trouble is they're not earning enough money or they've got a model that's not clicking over and they're trying to make a certain customer base work. And you see this particularly in smaller businesses because they only feel comfortable around people who are their non-ideal client. And so they're always interacting with non-ideal clients. They're always talking about the same problems. They hear the problem that they can solve but they forget one major element. That business can't afford it. So if you're only spending time around people who have the problem that you can solve, but they don't have the means in which to pay you properly for it, that's not your ideal customer. And it's hard because sometimes people feel like, why do I always attract the wrong type of customer? It's because you are the wrong business. In a version, it is standing up for yourself and your business. I too would like many, many things, but as is life, I cannot have it all. So I have to live within my means. It's the same within business. It's great that a startup might want all of the bells and whistles, but if they can't afford it, they don't get it. Yeah, we've got the same problem. We obviously have a performance consultancy that many of you have probably stalked online, and we work with a whole lot of different clients. But in order to consistently deliver the results, make people money, grow companies and and do what we do. We have a certain cost base that we have to obviously meet as a business. Smaller businesses won't be able to afford that. It doesn't mean they wouldn't get results working with us, but the jump is too big and you know you can help them, but you can't. So for us, backable is essentially one of those things, which is we still want to help people, but this is the best way we can meet our highest values, which is help every business make every business better. Now, is a podcast as effective as sitting down with a performance consultant that will make sure day by day that you execute and grow your business and get where you want to go? Absolutely not. But it is right for the type of person who might even be logistically unable to work with us. And you have to start thinking about this in your business, which is imagine if we thought about it a different way. What if we said, no, no, we have to service everyone in the world who just wants to do it. How would we do that? We'd lose so much money trying to work with people on the other side of the world. All the things that make that customer non-ideal, it would be ridiculous, right? I'm using a silly example, but that's the point. We see people making those same decisions and wondering why business is so hard for them. And on top of that, when you look at it's wonderful clients, customers, they should have opinions. And we've spoken about this before as you as the specialist. It doesn't matter if it's a product or a service, you have the knowledge, you have the data, and it is your job to communicate this back. If they don't accept it, that's on them, not on you. And this is where it comes back to this idea of the customer's not always right, but the right customer for you is always right. So if you're giving them information and they're listening to it 
and you're able to execute or you're able to design or you're able to change to this idea and this concept, that is a right client who is right. If you're not able to do that, they might still be right in their idea. They're just not right for you. And I think this is where a lot of businesses can find a little bit of gray when it should be black and white. If you can't do it, you're not right for them. There'd be a lot of people listening right now and feeling bad about themselves going, I know I'm not working with my ideal client, but I don't even know how to change it. It's too hard. I might not have the resources, the support to be able to do that. It doesn't mean you have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's an evolution process. It is strategically looking at who you want to serve and how do you get your first one. So if you're a service-based business, who's that person? Who's that joint venture partner? Who's that strategic partner you want to work with? If you're a product-based business or an online type of business, who are you trying to attract? Where's that traffic coming from? Where are we being written up? Where are we being seen? Who knows our brand? Whatever it is, it's always the same process, but it's a strategic decision. If you've got a great business with customers that still work and it's a good little business, but you know in order to get to the next level, you're going to have to service someone else or you've noticed a category in which you can do it, great. Perhaps you're big enough then to service that client base as well whether it's under a different brand, whether it's a different business, whether it's the same business that develops a different product. It's constantly about that evolution because if you're a business that expects for your whole life cycle to be dealing with the same customer, I don't know a business that's actually done that. No, and it's probably, well, it does come back to what you want to achieve. If you are going to grow, you need customers who grow with you. Otherwise, someone gets left behind. Or it's you who gets left behind because they've outgrown you. Yes, both ways. (laughs) Um, I still know at the digital agency, our very best clients are the ones who want more and are willing to work to make it happen. So back in the day when we were much smaller and we just specialized in social media, a client came to us and said, we want to grow with you. We want you to offer this service. And that's a really great partnership. So when we talk about what they pay, it's not always financial expense. Sometimes it's a joint venture partnership or it's a relationship. And I know we have another podcast on this if you want to go searching. Um, It's a partnership and a relationship that adds value to both sides. It might not be monetary, but it's how in service-based businesses you often do grow your service because you've tried it with someone, you've tested it with someone, and you know you can offer it to other people. You still need that person there who's willing to try it or do it with you. And if you have the wrong customer, or you're wrong for the customer you offer it to, it's not going to work. Lana, correct me if I'm wrong, but a few years ago, Burberry were a different customer base. We're talking 15 years ago now where they were, I don't want to say this in a disparaging way, but is it a Chav brand? (laughs) I realize that that can come across as disparaging, but I don't think it is. I think people who own it. But in terms of what they were saying right now is in London, they weren't seen as the high street type of brand. They actually had to bring in if you saw the Burberry Tartan about 15 years ago, it was not status. Yeah, and you know, I'm going to speak flippantly, but this was sort of the feeling around that brand. And obviously, it didn't mean it was the wrong customer because they were still spending, but they knew where they needed to be in terms of really to light Burberry on fire, which is how do we get more for obviously the apparel, 
you hit a certain point in high fashion brands that it's more about the brand which you invest so much in but you can then make different margins on the apparel so it was a better market for them to attack they felt they could find a niche there and fast forward 15 years and they're one of the premier high fashion brands in the world but it's almost a um they're nothing what they were 20 years ago are they well the irony of that is the, the burberry decision was to go back back to their roots yeah. was to go back to what they had been known for because they'd gone too far to an audience that I don't know, but I don't believe they didn't want them, but they weren't where they wanted to be. Yeah, and that's not about niching or anything like that. It was, we strategically think this is a better place for our brand and we can carve a niche in there or we can develop a brand in there that we think would be accepted by a type of client base. And that's thinking on the highest level and the biggest brands in the world. Smaller businesses aren't thinking about this enough. They're being reactionary to, oh, this client wants this. Oh, why don't we just try and do it? And there's a difference between innovation and being reactionary as a business because you just do things on a whim. This is about being more strategic. This is about looking at the right customer for you, the one you do well with, the one you can give better results to, the one that is happiest with you and you get what you need as a business in terms of return for that transaction. And that's a huge part of it. I know it might sound a bit fluffy, but the happiness that comes with it. We say to every client we work with, any agency, when you see them call, you need to not roll your eyes because you've got a call from them. Because if you're not happy with your agency, if you're not happy with your performance consulting, if you're not happy with any service or brand that you work with, and that includes purchase, the trust isn't there. Lana's talking about in her agencies, we have the same with clients that we helped when we began. The clients we were attracting were people who wanted to make more money that owned a business. And then you start getting some results and you get more of these people, I just want to make more money. That was all it was. I'm like, that's fine. But after a little while, you can do that. Pull the right levers, the magic happens. Then we started attracting a bigger type of business and we lost the fun of it because you make them more money, but no one really cares because they're big businesses anyway. So when you make a smaller business a lot of money, it changes their trajectory, their excitement, their enthusiasm. They want to keep innovating, growing. When you make more money for a really big business, sort of at that top end of the tens of millions of dollars, it's, oh, that was a good quarter. Let's do more efficiency stuff. We don't get the same enjoyment as seeing an entrepreneur with their family change their freaking life. (laughs) And, And where that's actually moved to, which is a very interesting one for the consulting, is the things that are no longer tangible. How do you explain the difference that this company has made? And I'm calling around, I'm asking 50-odd people. Every single one of them talk about non-tangible things now. So where it was, we were in growth and it was a smaller business and we could money in the bank. These people are all saying, yeah, yeah, it's money in the bank. But the right customers are saying things like support, understanding, teammate, and you can't hold on to that. Yeah, we talk about red flags a lot. Is there such a thing as a green flag? (laughs) What's the opposite of things are ticking off? Maybe it's a tick, but let's call it a green flag where you you see who you believe is your ideal client at the time and they get what you're about. And for us as smaller businesses, we're constantly still evolving our offering. So we work out where we fit in the world so we can start scaling if you've got that type of ambition. If you are listening to the wrong client and making all the business decisions, let me, I want to give you an example. You have a great business. And the wrong client complains and you as the owner get angry about your business. Why is this person not happy? Where the response should be, who cares? Let's start working out how to replace that client. 
if they're your non-ideal clients. It's not about being rude to people that we're trying to serve because if you've taken them on as a client, you better serve them in the way in which you promise. That's integrity. But if they're not and you're just holding there because it's a bit more money, you actually start to take out the motivation of your teams, your reputation as a business. There's a lot that starts to become more important that's not immediately seen, is it, Lana? And if you're wondering, that's all well and good for you to say, but how do I do this? It comes back to communication and it's the very simple idea of talk to the team. And it's what we do. I know when we see messages coming through and what's going on in the business, an outcome without knowledge of how that outcome occurred can ruin your business. So you can say they're not an ideal client. You have to find out what happened for them to be upset, not be an ideal client, to outgrow you. Because once you know what happened along the way, then you start to take action. Then you start to figure out who outgrew who, could we have done more, should we have done less, but you get a solution. Yep. And that to me is the most important part of all of this, regardless of a client being right, wrong, indifferent, you as a business need to know why a situation has occurred or a feeling has occurred so that you can either change it, decide not to change it, but at least understand it because it will keep happening in the future. And that's where the magic is, isn't it really, which is the biggest jumps we've made in our businesses have been what we thought was a non-ideal client because they were challenging us in the way in which they wanted to be serviced or the way they wanted a product or service. And we asked the question, if we were to do it that way, what would that mean? And sometimes you realize, actually, that is the next step for our company. We need to lift our game. It's not a demanding client. It's things are shifting. There's more players in the industry. The standards have risen. And this is the whole point in high performance, which is raise your standards. So the right client is right. The wrong client can be the gateway to your innovation, where the trick for all of us is making sure that the right client is actually the right client for the future. And the wrong client might actually be the one that you need to analyze better and adjust your business accordingly. Because if you can find that differentiation and you can get the best out of both worlds, you're going to become a very, very successful business. Lana, Nigel, have a great week. Let's do it all again next week. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for listening. Of course, you can head on over to backable.ai to access all the downloadables we put together. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Backable and Philodomo, then make sure to join our Facebook group or follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find in the show description below. As always, if you've enjoyed this week's podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review. That's all from us for now. Have a great week and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.